Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to another week here on the Mike Abadir Show. I am Gino Bacola, and I am absolutely excited right now as we are in a great, great time in the sports world. And then there were four in baseball. Week six of the NFL coming up. We're only uh, less than a week away from the start of the NBA season. I saw LeBron playing on the Lakers last night. But Mikey, you're the man. I know what you want to talk about immediately and it's the fact that your team is now one step closer to winning the World Series. How are you doing this week? And how are you feeling after that Red Sox victory? Both of our favorite teams, one and four. So, we're in. Yeah, you know, we're in. So it's good stuff on, on both of our ends. You know, for me, here's the thing. And I'm looking forward to talking to Matthew Corey first about this. Uh, with yeah, so the who athletic. do we have on today? So we have Matthew Corey from the Athletic Boston. He's going to be covering the ALCS. You know, a lot of Boston talk, obviously, with him. And then we're going to have David Gaskin from Fox Sports Radio. He also does play-by-play for ESPN and Fox Sports and Stadium. And he's going to talk to us about the NLCS and the Dodgers specifically. But before we even get to Matt, I just want to say this. I don't understand why there was so much hype about the Yankees going into this series. And you know me. I mean, I still think that the A's would have put up a better fight than the the Yankees. And I know a lot of people call me crazy, but you remember me even saying that before the series started. The reason for that is because I think the Yankees are a one-trick pony. You know, and I guess the old, you know, commercials from like 15 years ago, chicks dig the long ball. That must be the case because that's the only reason that you would make the Yankees the favorite when they have a half-assed starting rotation. They've got a good bullpen, sure. But let 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 me tell you one stat, Gino. To me, I find it very interesting that the Yankees are set an all-time home run record, but didn't even lead the American League in runs or RBIs. How? How could that be the case? Yeah. You set an all-time home run record. So See, they're a one-trick pony, man, and think, they were exposed. I think a lot of what it has to do with um, was the series, the shorter series. Because so I think in a shorter series, as you saw, it felt like Boston dominated, but, man, if Gary Sanchez hits that ball over the wall, you're going back to Yankee Stadium for a game five. That's what's scary about that because that, that's what the Yankees do to you is you feel like you beat them up, and then in one inning they string together two or three home runs, and then they're right back in it. So I, I agree in that we both thought Boston was the better team. But, man, that was a little bit scary. Like After that game when you, when you called it spot on, you said there was going to be a big Boston blow up and they scored 15. But after that game – when when it comes back and it's still tight, it's almost like, man, did Boston almost get all of their offense in that game, and now they're going to come down a little bit. But I, I do think we have as close to the four best teams left as I think we possibly could. I agree. I think so. And with that said, let's get to our first guest. Matthew Corey has been a previous guest of ours. He's from the Athletic Boston, does a tremendous job covering the Boston Red Sox. Matt, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you guys? Outstanding. Great. Outstanding. We couldn't, couldn't be any happier right now with the Red Sox performance. They go into Yankee Stadium and outscore them on the road 20-4. to four. Just overall impressions, did they surprise you? What are the things that stood out for you, for you from this series? 
Uh, well, I think the things that stood out to me are probably what stood out to everybody else. I mean, I, I this, because there were a couple sort of giant flashing red lights, you know, the way Aaron Boone handled his bullpen um, by not handling at all, um, you know, by, by sticking with his starters as long as he did in, in those last two games and letting the, uh, letting the Red Sox run up the score on two guys who, you know, didn't have it for whatever reason. Um, uh, the, that was what really stood out to me, and, and especially so in comparison to how uh, Alex Cora handled the Red Sox pitch staff. Um, you know, he was, you know, he got better performances out of his starters, for one thing, but he was quick to make a move. He, he uh, you know, took Porcello out after five good innings. Um, you know, the same with, with Sale in game one. Uh, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't afraid of going to his, his bullpen, um, you know, mixing and matching and, and, and getting, uh, getting the matchups that he wanted. And uh, so that's, that's what really stood out to me. Also, that 16-1 to 1 game was ridiculous. I mean, I, I don't think you expected either of those teams to, to do that to the other team. It's, it's baseball, so you never know. But, uh, but that, that was uh, shocking to me. You know, I found it really interesting that the knock going into the series was the Red Sox bullpen. Everybody's talking about they've imploded, especially in the second half of the season, didn't perform well in September at all, so what's going to happen? But here's the stat of the playoffs so far. The team that scores first in every single game of the entire postseason won with the exception of the Cleveland Indians. So the, the teams that scored first were 14-2. and two. So it's almost like if you score first doesn't even matter matter you know what your bullpen does score first get the lead you'll find a way to succeed i think more than anything that just tells me that relievers are going to clutch it up and on that note i want to talk to you uh, about what you brought up which is the managerial moves from core it seems like everything that he did to, uh, touch what uh, turned to gold the two moves in particular that i really really thought were strong bold statements create you know showed his sense of urgency in managing was bringing Porcello in in game one in the eighth inning, and then same thing with Sale in game four in the eighth inning, uh, just to make sure that they preserve the lead in order to get it to Kimbrell. You know, what are your thoughts about those moves in particular? Well, I mean, that was the criticism of the Red Sox bullpen, right? That they, they didn't have the, you know, the high-end depth that the Yankees have and, and, and that the Astros have too. So, you know, you're looking at, you know, Kimbrell, Okay, he pitched terribly in the in the division series, but he's still one of the best uh, you know closers out there. So if you if you accept that as a fact, and clearly Cora did, uh, then you know you're looking at as an eighth inning guy. You've got either Ryan Brazier, who pitched I think in Japan last year, or or Matt Barnes, who has a, a bit of a walk problem and and an occasional home run issue too. I mean, he gets a ton of strikeouts. He's not a bad pitcher, but he's he's not. You know, on, uh, if he were in the Yankees bullpen, he would be you know sixth, uh, fifth or sixth guy out of there. Um, and, and so I think you know the Red Sox and Cora identified that eighth inning as you know as a key spot. And so they they decided that that the best way to go about it, uh, to, you know, to to get that that bridge closed up between the regular bullpen and Kimbrel, uh, you know, was to go with go with the starters who. Uh, you know, we're, we're on their throw days, so to speak. Um, you know, I think uh, Parcello was scheduled to go in, in game three. He went in game four, um, but initially scheduled to go in game three. And so he was the, he was the guy. 
you know, to, to get that uh, get that ball to Kimbrel in, in game one. Uh, he didn't go the whole AT. He got the first two outs and gave up a single. And at that point, uh, Cora was like, okay, thank you, but, you know, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to go get our guy here. Um, and then, you know, in, in game four, uh, like you said, same, same deal. Uh, this time it was, it was an even, you know, more, um, aggressive move. I thought, you know, getting, getting sale, especially because they had sale, you know, designated to go in game five, which was going to be, you know, two days later. So, you know, if you're going to warm up sale and then bring him into the game, and this is a guy, you know, coming off a shoulder injury, um, you know, they, they treated him with kid gloves for, for two and a half months. Uh, you know, rightly so, I, I think, considering the way things worked out. But, uh, but you know, they, they were really gentle with, with him, and now they're using him, you know, <laughs> not only as the eighth inning guy, but then two days later they're, they're going to turn around and start him in, uh, at Fenway Park in a, in a game five. Uh, so I, I felt like that was a, an extreme move. That was Cora saying, we're going to win this right now. Um, and, and that actually uh, brings up my, my criticism of Cora, in fact, my only criticism of him. I wrote about that today in The Athletic. Um, and it, it's this. He had done all of that uh, stuff to get them to the point where uh, Kimbrell had the ball in the ninth inning and they had a three-run lead. And then he was apparently willing to sit on his hands while Kimball just burned that game to the ground. Yeah. Uh, I understand a long leash there. Uh, but, you know, four-pitch walk, another four-pitch walk, a single, a hit-by-pitch, an almost grand slam. I mean, how far are we willing to go here before, uh, before you let Kimball torch the game and potentially the series, given that you're dealing with a, you know, a, a diminished sale potentially in Game 5? So, so Matt, uh, let, let me stop you right there, Matt. Are, are you, yeah. are you some, in some way insinuating that maybe if you're already going to bring in Seal and he is as just hot as he was in, in, in that eighth inning, you might as well bring him back for the ninth? No, I'm not saying that. I, I don't disagree with um, – I mean, I think they, they wanted to be sure they could get something out of Seal in game five if it went that far, and so that's why they limited him. Um, because otherwise, I kind of do think you may as well, right? He's already warm. He's already in the game, and he's you know he's a, a starter. He's used to sitting down and getting back up, so that's that's not a big deal. But in this particular case, I wanted I, I think that they wanted to be sure they had sale for some amount of time in Game Five. And, and you, you wonder know, how much the price weighs into this too, knowing that you're not going to really have price there with the way that he's pitched. You're going to need sale to come back. Well, I I don't think that's how, how they were thinking about it, though. I mean. I understand that, that viewpoint for sure, but sure. I think they're, they're thinking about Price coming out of the pen and backing up yeah, um, okay. a sale in a potential game five. So I think that's you know, maybe uh, sort of an undersold uh, angle on this in, as to how you know, the Red Sox could get away with that. Um, but, you know, uh, it, it ended up all, all working out in the end, and they'll have sale ready on, uh, on Saturday night uh, you know, in Boston. And this is going to be a whole different series moving forward now as you play. Man, that's what's frustrating about this Astros team is you can play some very good baseball against them and still lose. They are deep as can be. Um, I guess the, the, the main weakness for Houston is we would still probably say their bullpen, even though it's been pretty shored up as of late with Osuna and even a guy like Ryan Presley, who's been awesome for them. But I guess the one question I ask for, for you does Boston have enough pitching 
to, to get through this seven-game series against a team like Houston, who has so much pitching and such a great lineup? Can they match up with them? So this is an interesting point, um, and I think in this way, uh, the Red Sox can. And, you know, the, the Astros have, I mean, they're just such a, like you pointed out, they're such a, a quality team from top to bottom. But one thing that, that doesn't come into play nearly as much in the playoffs and I think that's something that when we're analyzing it, we tend to forget about this and we tend to, to calculate this in. But depth really isn't that important. You know, a, a lot of times if you're using guys, uh, you know, you know the, you're using the, the very back end of your bullpen, it's because the game's out of hand already. You know, um, if, if you look at the, you know, the leverage that the, the Red Sox three best relievers, uh, you know, threw in, uh, you know, they were, the game was close always. Uh, they, they didn't use those guys when the game was out of hand one way or the other. Um, and the Yankees, you know, similarly for the most part. Um, and I would expect that'll be that way for the Astros also. You know, they'll use their top guys. There's only so many innings to go around in a, in a you know, seven-game series. So, and I think that, uh, you know, Cora has, has clearly learned that he can use his starters selectively, um, you know, as, as relievers. And... I think you can expect to see more of that as the series goes along. I mean, it, it's actually worth pointing out that last year, um, when Cora was, was the bench coach in Houston, the Astros did the same thing. They had uh, McCullers coming in out of the bullpen uh, to, you know, to close games. They, they, didn't, ha- they didn't have uh, you know, Asuna at the time. I, they had Giles, who was just a, just a mess. Um, so, yes, is the answer to your question. I think the Red Sox can match up. With them and and sort of oddly, I think one place the Red Sox have an advantage over Houston, uh, and you, you might not think this is the case, but is uh, on offense. Um, the Astros hit the ball so well against Cleveland, um, just you know, ridiculous, uh, Ruthian level. But there, that's not who they were all year. You know, we got to the playoffs and and, and we saw them, you know, sort of. You know, beat down a great pitching staff and and, uh, and and kind of assumed, okay, well, you know, it's the Astros from last year. They're just going to run roughshod over every pitching staff, and, and maybe they will. I mean, that you know, they could do that. They have the talent, uh, but they didn't do that all year. They were, uh, you know, an above average offense, but certainly not a great one. Um, and I I tend to think that's more who they are, uh, or maybe somewhere in between. You know, maybe a step up. You know, if, if Carlos Correa is healthy and actually hitting, and uh, Alex Bregman is really hot, but I do think that you know it, it's unlikely that the Astros are going to have a you know a four ten on base percentage and a six ten slugging percentage at the end of this series. Um, and if they do, it's going to be over in four. So, you know, I agree with that, Matt, because when I look at this Red Sox team, and I've been telling everybody this exact same thing, they're a really really great hitting team. And I don't use great in a loose manner. I mean, there, there are different types of offenses in baseball. There's like the Canseco, Maguire, mash up 80s, early 90s type power, you know, slugfest, we're going to score more runs than you type offense. And then there's a great hitting offense, kind of like, like Wade Boggs or Tony Gwynn, students of the game. Seems like the Red Sox, mm-hmm. I'm not comparing the whole lineup to those type of guys, but it seems like they've got a lot of really good professional hitters and proof of that is in that 16-run blowout of the Yankees the other night, their first seven hits were singles. 
So right. they're scoring runs in a lot of different ways, and I love how aggressive they are. They've got team speed. They were second in, in the American League in stolen bases, but not just that. They're good, really good base runners. Guy ends up on first. Somehow, some way, you'll find him on third. Seems like every single yeah. time. They're able to manufacture runs in, in really amazing ways. Before you know it, they've they got four runs on the board. And you're like, wow, I didn't even think that they did anything that impressive. But they're able to manufacture runs in so many different ways. So I agree with that assessment about the offense. You mentioned Cora being the bench coach. What kind of advantage do you think that has uh, being the former bench coach of the Astros going in into this series? You'd think that he knows a lot of the ins and outs of every single one of those players in the lineup and in the pitching staff. Yeah, I think I think he probably does have a, a real good handle on on what those hitters do well, uh, you know, and and maybe you know what their weaknesses are. Um, that said, I tend to think that kind of thing can be overblown. I mean, we heard you know the Indians, Trevor Bauer, I think, complaining about how the the Astros analytics were so much greater than than those of the Indians, and I mean, I I know that helps. I, I consider myself an analytics guy, uh, but you know, you need a game plan, and then on the field, players have to perform. You know, um, for, for example, uh, Kimbrell in the ninth inning against uh, Gary Sanchez. Uh, he had, I think he had a full count, but he definitely had two strikes on Sanchez. They went to try to throw a high fastball. They know Sanchez will chase a high fastball. Uh, Kimbrell missed his spot. He put a fastball over the middle of the plate just above the knees, right where Sanchez can hit it. And fortunately for the Red Sox, Sanchez just got under it, skied it to the warning track. It's a fly ball out instead of a grand slam that ends the game and sends the series back to Boston. So, um, you know, you could say that the Red Sox maybe had the right game plan, but Kimball didn't execute it properly there, and, and they got a little bit lucky. Now, Kimball throws 97, and he's got good deception on his pitches, so, you know, there's other aspects to this as well. It wasn't like he was underhanding the ball to Sanchez and asking him to hit it, hit it over the fence. Um, but you know you can have you can have all the game plans you want, but if you if you miss your spot as a pitcher, um, you know if you're not if you're not prepared in that, or, or even if you are prepared in that way, it, it sometimes it doesn't matter. You know you have to go out on the field and and uh, and make it happen there. We're coming up on a break here, so we have just a couple of minutes left with uh, Matthew Corey, Red Sox writer from the Athletic Boston. So we we did find out now that it's going to be Price in Game Two. I'll kind of ask you two questions in one. How do you feel now with Price, and do you think he's best being used as a starter or as a reliever going forward? And then give us your prediction for this series with the uh, the Red Sox and the Astros. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, we're talking with Price. He has a, a giant track record of success as a starter, um, you know, in the regular season. And, and an incredibly comparatively small track record of failure <laughs> in the postseason. Um, now, he has looked good coming out of the bullpen. Uh, he did it in Boston. He did it in Toronto. And he did it also in, in Tampa Bay when he first came up. Um, I, tend to think, I tend to think two things. One, that I think he'll be okay. Um, I have confidence in, in the man's uh, you know, talent and abilities. Um, I think he's a good pitcher, and I think he'll be okay. And every time he goes out there, I expect him to be okay. Uh, I tend to think his, his leash is getting shorter. Uh, you know, the Red Sox are 
obviously a better team with David Price pitching well out of the starting rotation. But if he goes out there and gets shelled in game two, my guess is that'll be it in terms of starting. Um, they'll, they'll move Eduardo Rodriguez uh, or, or somebody else. They'll find somebody else to, to pitch what would, I guess, be a potential uh, game seven. Um, and so I, I, those are my thoughts on Price. I, 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 think, uh, I think for the most part he's gotten in his own head a little bit. Um, but, you know, the Red Sox are going to depend on him, so that's, that's the way that is. Um, my prediction... Oh gosh, I feel like this is going away. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say the the Astros don't hit nearly as much, uh, and the Red Sox are able to squeak out some close games, and uh, and I'm going to say uh, Red Sox in six. Wow, I'll take that. Boston in six. Well, we we have a quick just a, a few seconds. You want to give us a quick prediction in the National League? Uh, Dodgers in five. I, I think I, like I think the, the the Brewers are a, are a fun team and and a really interesting one. The way they've gone about the season and and the way that they went all in, you know, this this past off season with the trades and, and signings they made. Uh, but I think this is this is the end. The yeah, the Dodgers are are just too too talented, uh, especially in the rotation. Um, and uh, I expect I expect this one to be over. This is going to be more like a continuation of the division series, which which weren't really that. Uh, competitive. That's kind of what I'm expecting. Hey, Matt, before we let you go, I, I, I have to ask this because I'm very curious to get your thoughts, and, and maybe we can talk more about this the next time you come on, but if the Yankees could go back in time, do you think they'd go after J.D. Martinez instead of Giancarlo? I don't know. That's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, the Red Sox clearly were not interested in Stanton's contract. Uh, and I, It's unclear, you know, uh, if Stanton would have accepted a trade to Boston, uh, but the Red Sox wanted no part of that contract. And, you know, the Yankees, like, like the Alex Rodriguez deal, you know, years ago, they were, they were willing to take that, that big deal for that kind of player. Now, I don't think Stanton is Alex Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez is the inner circle Hall of Famer, and, you know, Stanton is a, good, a really good hitter and a fine outfielder, but, but not a comparable player. Uh, I mean, I think at this point, you know, Knowing what we know, sure. <laughs> um, I mean, the Red Sox got a better player at fewer years and less money. So and he, and he, and he uh, outproduced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and he and he outhit him in the in the postseason too. I mean, the Yankees had two guys who hit. They had Judge and uh, I forget Voight. who the other guy was. Voight, right? Um, Voight. Voight was Voight okay. Got on base, but he didn't really but, hit yeah, the ball that well. He didn't well. really rake. Yeah. Um, Sanchez yeah, is anyway, okay. So, like, they were yeah, okay. okay. I mean, they were, yeah. Yeah, Sanchez didn't get a lot of hits either, but he had, I think, what, two homers? So yeah, and he walked a little bit. Get it done in four, day, four games. Um, but, yeah, I mean, other than that, the Red Sox were, were, were pretty pretty stingy from the, from the pitching uh, you know, standpoint, and, and I think that bodes well for the, uh, for the championship series. Matt, let us know where can we find you online and what are you working on right now? Uh, you can find me at the Athletic Boston. Uh, I am working on a piece about uh, how the Red Sox can beat the Astros, what the Astros' weaknesses are, uh, you know, s- such as they are, <laughs> um, and and how the Red Sox can exploit it. So that that should be up, I would imagine, tomorrow at the Athletic Boston. And you can follow me on Twitter at MattyMatty2000. 
Great stuff. Awesome, when, when it's Boston Dodgers, we're going to have to get him back for a, yes. have to get you back for a, a World Series preview. Sounds great. I can't wait, guys. Thanks, awesome. Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah, awesome. I think we again. have David. Talk to you soon. Thanks, thanks, Matt. Um, Mike, I think we have our next guest ready on hold. So let's take a quick break, and we'll come right back with David Gascon from Fox Sports Radio. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Mike, I don't think we have enough time for our next guest, David Gascon, who's on right now. Because if you follow along on his Twitter feed, I mean, he is involved in everything. I mean, high school sports, college sports, professional sports, you name it. David has his hand in it in some way, shape or form, announcing, radio, I mean, all over the place. David, I mean, what? What are you paying attention to right now? You've got you've got your eyes on everything. It seems like over there. Yeah, it's just unfortunate that I wasn't uh, I wasn't a part of the uh, the fisticuffs with McGregor and Khabib over the weekend. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the one thing I missed out on, man. But uh, yeah, good to be back with you guys, and uh, yeah, and kind of fired up with obviously everything about to get underway in the NLCS and the ALCS, and of course the uh, National Hockey League season underway and. NBA as well, and they're about a week away from LeBron and the frenzy here in Los Angeles getting tipped off too. So it's a lot of fun right now in the Southland. Yeah, we're all kind of in that same boat where we're like just sports junkies, and and doesn't matter what the sport is, we're we're loving it. But what's coming up here is uh, an NLCS, 
you know, you'd, you'd think that the Dodgers being who they are, that they'd start here at Dodger Stadium. They got to go on the road and get things started. Obviously, when you're, uh, you know, starting a seven-game series on the road, you want to hopefully split. Have the, have the Brewers announced their game one starter yet, guys? Yeah, it's Yuli Shasin. He'll, he'll start game one for them against uh, Clayton Kershaw. So it should be a pretty good matchup. I do like the fact that the Dodgers open up on the road because I think – I mean, for two reasons. One, you'll find out what, what's the makeup of Clayton Kershaw, especially with the second half of the season for him. I mean, he didn't start the year off good at all in terms of health, and then obviously getting absolutely no run support for his cause, and then started heating up in July and in August and September. And uh, he was kind of rubbed the wrong way about not being the game one starter in the NLDS. And so for him on the road, he had impressive performance against Atlanta in game number two. He was in straight shove mode and going for eight innings. I think if he has that kind of fire and that execution uh, on the road in Milwaukee, I think that does a lot for the Dodger confidence. And then on the second half of that thing, too, is that you will get Walker Bueller, but you'll get him at home. And I think that's important for the Dodgers to get to Bueller in a, in a comfortable setting as opposed to in a, in a hostile environment, which will be Milwaukee. I think they're jacked up for this thing. And I know it'll be a rowdy barn. So I'm actually looking forward to this thing because you'll have two powerhouses going in the National League. One of the questions, David, I, I had about Boston on, in the American League, and I think it's even more of a question about Milwaukee here, is we see their bullpen, Hader, Jeffries, Knable, Soraya. Those four pitchers pitched in all three games in that Rocky series. We know the bullpen is strong. Do they have enough starting arms, though, to, to go through – maybe a deep, long seven-game series. We're looking at Shasin, Miley, Gio Gonzalez, maybe. I mean, are these starting pitchers that are going to be able to shut this Dodger lineup down? Well, I, I think the, the sediment with Craig Council is he's trying to buy some outs any way that he can. And this was kind of the makeup of the Dodgers in 2017. I mean, if you do recall, yeah. I mean, they went with their starting pitchers, but as soon as Dave Roberts got a sense that these guys were in trouble or – if they were going the third time through the lineup, he was quick with the hook. And against Houston, he paid for it. And Brandon Morrow was, was gassed. Kenley Jansen was gassed. Yep. Um, so you had that sense that, that you know, other guys like Kent Maeda had to, had to eat up some innings. And I think that's the same thing that's going to happen to these Brewers. Um, with that being said, I think it goes along the lines of what Boston did, just did uh, against the Yankees. They weren't afraid to throw Chris Sale into the – into the fire, and I think they have to do that because with Milwaukee, um, they have the offense. So if you can keep the Dodgers off the base pass and you can limit them to just a couple runs and don't let them get into a good flow, then you have to do that. I, I do think that their bullpen is going to be taxed, um, and I do not think their starting rotation can keep up with the Dodgers. But, of course, when you're at home, you have the adrenaline going, I, I think anything goes, and so I wouldn't count them out at least for them giving some good starts here to start off the uh, the NLCS. You know, I think one of the reasons why they are going with uh, Chassin in game one is because guys like Muncie and Peterson, they struggle against right-handers who throw a lot of sliders. Chassin is one of them. The thing that's interesting to me about the Dodgers is that they're able to counterpunch. You know, they've got quite a bit of depth. It seems to me like Hernandez has, uh, Kike has earned his way into the lineup and, and, and Dozier isn't getting that many at-bats, at least in this postseason so far. You know, where, where do you see Roberts kind of in the chess aspect of this thing having an advantage over, over uh, you know, Council on the other side, even though they've got a, quite a bit of depth offensively as well? 
Kind you just you, you kind of wish this was played in an American League ballpark, right? Because then you can just go with nine bats in there as opposed to the eight. Um, I do think in the situation that Dave Roberts is in, it's it's a unique one because the Dodgers. Part of the reason why they've been so successful over the last five, six, seven years is the continuing depth that they've developed, not only through their farm system, but what they have on a 25-man roster. And so with Kike Hernandez, he was really good last year, but acquiring Brian Dozier, who came in for Logan Forsythe, who really didn't match up to what the expectations were from Tampa, Dozier's a reliable arm at second base. And so you know exactly what you're going to get from him as a second baseman. Kike Hernandez... I don't want to say he's a wobbly guy on the infield, but you go with the veteran leadership there. That's the only reason I would rely on a guy like Brian Dozier. But, of course, when you have Kike Hernandez in there, you could put him anywhere in the lineup. And that's the, the, the beauty about the Dodgers uh, one through eight. You have those guys where you can have a guy that's going to hit for good power in the seventh or eighth spot, and then you roll over the top portion of the lineup too. So if I'm David Roberts... I'm putting Kiki Hernandez in right away because I, I want to set the tone early on that the bats won't quick quit. And the same thing that you guys had mentioned, too, is with the starting rotation being susceptible for the Milwaukee Brewers, if you can get to the pen early, then you'd not only tax them for game number two, but the entire series. Well, yeah, one thing we've seen, too, a lot, and I, I think the one, the one piece of their bullpen, and we keep talking about the Milwaukee bullpen as being really strong, but for me as a fan, of a, Do- of a Dodger fan, the one guy that, that really scares me, I think you can get to Knable, I think you can get to Jeffries, I think you can get to Soraya, but it's Hayter. If he is on his A game, he is as good, I think, as anyone and as big of a weapon. But the issue is the usage with him, as you mentioned, they did not use him a whole lot back-to-back down the stretch in September, and he did have some issues tailing off a little bit in September. So the main question is, can the Brewers beat the Dodgers without this bullpen being incredible? Yeah, I think the biggest reason for that is Christian Yelich on the offensive side. I mean, the guy, yeah. the guy should win the NL MVP this year, and if he doesn't, I don't know what the voters are thinking. I mean, the guy has been clearing away the, the best player for Milwaukee, and, and frankly, I think he's been the best player or one of the best players, in fact, in all of Major League Baseball. I mean, I'd put him right up there with J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts on the American League side. And so I kind of think of what Yelich has been this year. It kind of rivals what Daniel Murphy was just a couple years ago when he, he torched the Dodgers as a New York Met. I mean, the guy came up in every situation possible. And if he wasn't hitting the ball out of the yard, he was putting the ball in play and getting on board with runners on base. So, I mean, offensively for Milwaukee, they're not going to take a backseat to the Dodgers. Sure. And so when you look at, at what Milwaukee does with their pitching staff and Hayter, and his usage, yeah, that's that's fine and all. But I think when you look at Milwaukee and what they do, they've done, I mean, offensively, I think they're going to be right there with the Dodgers, and I think it's going to come down to a couple pitches. I think that's what it's going to be when you look at what the Dodgers can offer and what Milwaukee offers. I think that's bat for bat. Like bigger picture wise here, do you think that the Dodgers? You know, they've been obviously the dominant team in the NL West. They've gone to the playoffs, you know, what six seven years in a row. They finally broke through last year and got to the World Series. If, for any reason, they were to get bounced in the League Championship Series here, are they kind of, you know, at that point where they maybe start being compared to the Atlanta Braves, where you're like, you know, they get there every year and they just front office, (laughs) you know, they just don't, you know, get over the hump and 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 finally win this thing. Yeah, I mean, I thought about that at the start of the season, and now they've won six straight division titles. You, You can't help but think that. I mean, the Atlanta Braves were the 
the best mediocre team of the 90s. I mean, they win all those division titles, and they had one ring to show for it, and that's the unfortunate thing. I mean, I always listened to what Matt was talking about in the previous segment. I don't think this is going to be a landslide for the Dodgers at all. I think this goes seven games, either either one way or the other for L.A. or Milwaukee. I don't think this is five at all for L.A., and part of the reason for that is because the guys in that lineup with Aguilar and Shaw and Yelich hitting over 30 home runs this season. So, I mean, for the Dodgers, you look at a couple of things that were wasted. I mean, last year they had an opportunity to go after Justin Verlander, didn't make that transaction go down, and what do they do? They settle for you, Darvish, and then you saw what happened in Game 7 of the World Series where he got lit up and Verlander started in a couple of those ball games and led them to a, a World Series title. So you can't help but think that in this day and age with the Dodgers, the money, the bankroll that they have, and the ability to go out and, and get those guys via free agency, they've made the moves and they just haven't come together. And then all, by the way, on top of it, you got to have a guy that's making over $30 million a year as your ace, and he has not come up clutch when you needed him in postseason play, and that's Clayton Kershaw. Well, we got to jump in uh, and ask you now about the American League. We were talking with uh, with Matt all about that Boston and Houston series. Just kind of briefly, what are your overall thoughts of that series? And then give us a prediction uh, in uh, who you like and how many games. Well, I mean, if you're a Dodger fan, you want to face the Red Sox for, for two reasons. One is I think their starting rotation susceptible outside of Chris Sale. And two is you got that short porch in right field. So Boston will have home field advantage in the World Series should L.A. and Boston meet. Now, on the other side, you know, some people might want to see Houston again just for that revenge factor, but they have, they have so many bats and they have so much skill. And when I think about the Astros, I think it all starts with their starting rotation. And Verlander comes back. He's been a monster again. You have Keiko that's there. Garrett Cole's had a fantastic season on the bump for them, too. So I think it's just year in and year out for the Astros now. It's kind of like plug and play where these guys have just, they have that fire in their belly. And they got guys that can swing the stick as well, too. So, I mean, this day and age, you're thinking about guys with launch angles and hitting the ball out of the yard. They can hit for power, but they can hit for contact, and they put guys in motion. And that's a complete team. I just, I mean, I know Boston's won 108 games this year, but the Astros, I think, are far and away better than everybody else. And it's a matter of someone can at least execute and make some pitches for four out of seven games. So I like, I like Houston this series, regardless of Boston having home field advantage. Yeah, and I think from Major League Baseball's perspective, as long as the Dodgers are are there, they're probably okay. I mean, I think they'd probably rather see Boston and the Dodgers. That would be a historic, you know, franchise-type matchup, East Coast, West Coast. You know, it would be pretty leg- legendary. If the Astros go in, then you've got the rematch from last year, so that's always a very sellable thing. I think what would be the worst-case scenario for Major League Baseball would be Brewers and Astros, probably. Not that sexy. wouldn't have the, the national. I mean, as a baseball fan, I think it would be intriguing, and I'd love it. But overall, we want to see Dodgers and Red Sox, let's face it. That's, that sounds like the World Series matchup of all ages. See, and here's the thing that's great about Major League Baseball right now is you have all the territory covered. Dodgers on the West Coast, Houston down in Texas, Milwaukee in the Midwest, and then Boston on the East Coast. So yeah. even, even if a fan was like, well, L.A.'s not in it and it's going to be a boring series, I, I disagree because, you know, one thing you'll get with Milwaukee, whether they face Houston or Boston, is you're going to get a lot of offense. And no, people hey, love no the run ball. They love offense. And so... I mean, part of the popularity of the growing trend now with the NFL is points per game are up, and I think it's the same thing with Major League Baseball. You're going to get runs, you're going to get home runs, you're going to get pitchers getting lit up. 
And of course, the uh, the mount approaches for managers and players is limited to six now. So I think all in all, I think it's going to set up for a great fall classic, no matter who the two teams are. Now, I'm going to give you guys a, a quick trivia question. I think you guys will like this, okay? In the history of Major League Baseball, there's been one player, and I'm surprised that it was only one, but one player that suited up for all four of these uh, league championship teams, for the Dodgers, Brewers, Red Sox, and Astros. Who is that one player? And the hint that I'll give you is, we think 90s, 2000s. We're not talking about, you know, 1910 or anything like that. Well, the Astros weren't around back then anyways, but you know what I'm saying. Any guesses? No. I mean, I would just say Ricky Henderson. I don't even know. He's just such a crazy (laughs) dude for so many teams. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good good question. That's a good question. Mark Mark Loretta. Okay. Oh, man. Mark Mark Loretta. Loretta. Only player in... Yeah, this question was courtesy of the MLB Network. I heard it yesterday, and I was like, wow, I can't believe that of all the players that have suited up for major league, in the major leagues, only one has played for those four teams. Interesting. Mark wow. Loretta getting some, some love here on the yes. Mike Cavadier Show. Yes. So, David, let us know, what, what's your schedule coming up? Where can we find you? And then uh, give us your plugs online. Yeah, yeah, I'm on, uh, on Twitter at David J. Gascon. Um, got some, some action tomorrow night uh, on Fox. Uh, I'll be out in the city of Corona. I got Centennial and, uh, and Norco High School. I uh, got a couple guys that will be going D1 next year. Um, Centennial's got a lights-out team, so they're going to compete with Modern Day and uh, Jay Sarin amongst the, the top dogs in the entire nation. And then uh, over the weekend, I got some soccer, uh, Long Beach State, uh, doing some battle with UC Santa Barbara. It's on ESPN on Sunday. Um, and then rinse and repeat over the weekend, you know, college football in the NFL, and we'll see if the Rams can continue their perfect season as they uh, travel to Denver. So uh, excited about all of it. Good stuff. Great, David. Thank you very much again. We'll have to talk to you soon. It's so fun when we talk to you because we can literally hit everything. This time we had to focus a little bit more on baseball, but man, we, we can we can bring you on for anything. So we're always uh, very lucky to have you on the show. Thanks again. Yeah, he's Thanks, David. Thanks for the invite, fellas. I'll talk to you soon. All right, my man. Good stuff. So, Mike, Absolutely. before before we get to the quick break, I want, you know, obviously everybody knows I'm a Dodger fan. You are a Red Sox fan, but let's give our honest predictions. Honest predictions. Try to take yourself out of the fandom as much as possible. I know you want the Red Sox to win. You know I want the Dodgers to win. What do you predict in the Boston-Houston series? What do you predict in the Dodgers-Brewers? I'm going to stick with my picks from the beginning, which is Dodgers-Red Sox World Series. I think the Red Sox, you know, they, they, they actually match up a lot better than that with Astros that people realize. And they, they are 4-3. and three. Let me take that back. The Astros are 4-3 and three against the Red Sox. They're very tightly contested games this year. This year. I think they if they would have played 11 games, you know, it, it would be, you know, eat, whichever number of games they played each other, an odd number, it would be one up. You know what I mean? Like six and five or whatever. You know, it's like, I, to me, I view it as that tight of a matchup. Price is obviously going to be the wild card here. But keep in mind, Price was really good against the Astros this year. You know, in, in two matchups, he has a 3.65 ERA. In his last matchup in September, September 7th, he had 10 Ks in six innings. He did really well against them, limited the number of, of hits. I think he only gave up seven hits all year against them in 12 and two-thirds innings, only one home run, three walks, 17 Ks. He's going to be the X factor, right? I think if Price is right, no pun intended, I think the Red Sox win. <laughs> so I'm going to go with the Red Sox, and I'm going to go with the Dodgers. I do agree with David in that I think it's going to be a, a tough series. I think both of them go seven. I'm going to say six and six. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to stick. 
I, that's just what's so the like Boston is good. They're a very good team. I just think that that Houston is a little bit better. That's just that's all it is, really. I mean, I think in in a lot of other years, Boston would be right in the World Series. I just don't know if they're going to have enough from in in all phases. From the the lineup is good. The lineups are, are I think pretty comparable. To be honest, I think Boston's got a very strong lineup. But then you see that starting pitching. What are they going to get out of Price? I don't even really know how much I trust Porcello and um, and even Evaldi. Evaldi's great against the Yankees, but I think. You know, for me, Sale was really the only one that's scary. If Kimbrel isn't quite himself, I just I think there's a lot more of a margin for error with Houston than there is for Boston. I think Boston needs to be pretty close to perfect to beat them. And I think Houston's just a little bit stronger top to bottom. And I think the Brewers are gonna hit, man. This this I series think so too. this makes me a little nervous. I really do. I think it's I'm gonna predict six, but I think the Brewers are really gonna hit, and I, I just hope I think this is going to be a series where you're not going to see very many 1-0 games. I think you're going to see a lot of 6-5 games throughout. I agree. I, I think, agree. Both, I, I think I, both lineups will hit. You know, I'll tell you this much. I think that the that the Brewers, for being a slugging team, I think they kind of carry that pesky persona that their manager has. I don't know if you remember Council when he played. Oh, yeah. Council oh, yeah. was as pesky as they get. And I think it's just one of those teams that's going to scratch and claw. And, you know, hey, look, man, they steamrolled a very hot Rockies team. That, you know, and uh, 11 in a row right now, the Brewers. Yeah. They yeah. won 11 straight. I think they've said that that's one of the longest winning streaks to end a season. I was looking, and, and one had said that there were two eight-game streaks with teams that won the World Series way back in, like, the 1920s when there were only few, much fewer games in the playoffs and not all these rounds all the way through. So, I mean, sure. you catch and, a team and sometimes, like and sometimes that's advantageous, by the way, where you're fighting for your life each and every game. I like it just, for the Dodgers this year. You know, yeah, I like it for them this year. Don't you think you kind of maintain your focus a little bit? And 100%. You, you don't, like, let off the gas pedal. Like, I didn't like that the Red Sox let off the gas pedal and they're giving guys days off and this and I that. I'm like, that happened with continue the Braves. steamrolling. Continue you know? steamrolling. Yeah, with the Braves, it's a great, great they, point. They were able to clinch, and then they were able to just kind of sit quiet for a week and a half or two while the Dodgers were playing and battling the Rockies, you know, for the division title all through. And then they had to play that additional game. So, sure. um, yeah. yeah. So let me, let me tell you this, this other thing, though, Gino, which is, it's really hard. There's no harder sport in professional American sports to repeat than in baseball. I agree. I too think many variables. Are, There's just too so many, many variables. variables. Exactly. And to me, this kind of reminds me of a couple of years ago when the Cubs won the World Series. I remember right after getting that last out, I'm like, you know what? I think this is the beginning of a run of three in a row. I really do think yeah. so. And it's just hard to bottle up that magic consecutive years the Red Sox seem to push all the right buttons this year. Cora is doing Cora, a really, really Cora, good that's job. That's the key. Cora, every I, move I think Cora he's is making is working. Yeah, I think, he's gonna, I think he's going to outmatch Hinch just a little bit because he knows all the ins and outs of those guys on the other side. And I think that is a distinct advantage. He was around those guys for 300-plus days last year. That's got to come in to, to play in some way, whether it's telling a pitcher this is how you should pitch this, this guy or – you know, or or maybe a hitter on, hey, this is how Verlander can sometimes give up a pitch or whatever the case may be, that's going to be a distinct advantage. And that's why I'm sticking with, with the Red Sox prediction. Even though, remember at the beginning of, of the playoffs, what did I tell you? I thought that the Astros overall, top to bottom, seemed like the best team in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm still... They're, they're, they got a couple good arms at the end of the pen, and they have some other starters that they've uh, they've moved there. But I still think you can maybe get to their pen. So we'll see, and we'll uh, revisit the MLB playoffs next week. But right now, we're going to talk some NFL and uh, one of the 
most popular segments of our show each and every week is when we bring on the parlay queen, Monique, from Covers, from ABR Live, to talk some football with us and her plays this week. Monique, how you doing? What's up, Monique? Doing very well. How are you guys? Oh, doing great. We got some baseball. We got some football. I'm watching LeBron playing for the Lakers last night. I'm excited over here. How does um, that and we're feel? gonna Oh What a change it's, of culture. It's, <laughs> it's weird. I'll tell you. It's so it's weird. It's like I see him going up and I'm so used to rooting against him that I like catch myself a couple of different times. Like, what? What am I doing here? But it's uh it's fun and it's exciting. No no doubt about that. And what else is exciting, Monique, is when we make some money here. So let's uh let's talk some plays this week. How many plays do you have for us? I have four plays. Uh, I like quite a bit this week. Not really so much in the spreads, but there's quite a bit I like. I feel like right now we're really figuring out the true identities of teams and seeing who's really overperforming and underperforming. So there are four plays that really stand out to me this week. You've got a couple over-unders to start. I do. I think my favorite would probably be uh, Redskins Panthers under 45. Now, the Panthers will be very happy to have Thomas Davis back after suspension, and it really couldn't come at a better time. The 3-1 and Panthers are really hoping to take advantage of a Saints bye week just at the top of the NFC South. So the Redskins' solid defensive line could definitely cause some problems. The Panthers' O-line's been beat up pretty much all year, ton of injuries, and I really do think that the Panthers could prove to be really one-dimensional if their run game is halted. So I think that's quite a bit of points for two defenses that have been playing really well. Redskins, Panthers, under the 45, and then uh, another under, uh, Vikes Cardinals. Yeah, under 43 and a half. Now, the Cardinals have not found a way to get David Johnson involved, and he's by far their biggest offensive weapon. He hasn't been a factor in the running game. His yards per attempt are just completely decreased, and he's not a factor in the passing game either. And the Cardinals defensively have just been terrible against the run, and I think that really plays into the Vikings' strengths. They have no problem running the ball 25 times with Cook and Murray to secure a win. So I feel like they can put the points up on the board, but I struggle to see Arizona putting up more than 15 to 16. So we're under there for the Vikes Cardinals. And uh, actually, I think this game, you and I are going to go straight up against each other here. You are going to play the Jags minus the three. I'm shocked you like the Cowboys after what we've seen or what we haven't seen offensively. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Cowboys, it's not even yeah. – for, um, for me, it's not even as much of a like the Cowboys. I'm just going to take the three with the home and just hope that Bortles, Bortles, you know, and that we get one of those bad Blake Bortles games instead of one of those good ones. But, yeah, this is an interesting one because what we've seen, I think, is the Jaguars are a very inconsistent team, but their they're top and their A game is really good, Monique. That's true, and they're not very good on the road. That's definitely a, a good point. And three points is, is a very, very small spread. Now, the Cowboys offensively, they just don't have the weapons to keep up Terrible. with really any team, and they just haven't really been able to put points on the board. I think defensively, the Jags are pretty much one of, if not the best, top three defenses in the league. They're just holding opponents to 20 or less in four of the five weeks, and they're just the complete team. I think the spread, although it's a little bit small, I, I definitely would would take the Jaguars just to win by a field goal. And then one more, your final play is a team total over. Yeah, it's Baltimore Ravens team total over 20 and a half. 
Now, last game, the Ravens were very, very poor, but offensively, they're still putting up close to 400 yards a game. Now, the Titans' passing game has been very, very inconsistent, and their run game has just been irrelevant. I think if Baltimore can convert on some of those red zone opportunities, which has been a struggle for them, and they can capitalize off moving the ball as well as they have been, I don't think there's any reason they shouldn't be able to win this one comfortably and put up at least 21 points. Four plays this week for the Parlay Queen. I was going to say King. Redskins, Panthers, under 45. Vikings, Cardinals, under 43 and a half. The Jags, minus three. Uh, We'll have to have a a friendly wager on that one too, Monique. Like, uh, if I win next week, you're going to have to come on and, like, sing a song or or something like that. We'll figure it out. And then uh, (laughs) (laughs) Ravens team total over 20 and a half. So four plays for Monique. Thanks so much, Monique. We really love it. It's it's great for us to be able to have you on every week because I know the fans really look forward to the final segment where we each give our plays. So thanks again, and uh, looking to go 4-0 this week is the Parlay Queen. Thank you guys so much. Always love chatting football. Honestly, I could chat about it all day. So thank you guys for having me, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun this year thus far. Thanks, Monique. Awesome stuff. Thank well, you. Mike, we only have a couple minutes left, so quickly jump in. How many plays do you have this week? Okay, you want to recap last week real fast? Yep, go ahead. Okay, uh, last week, four and one on my side here. I, I believe three, you one were three, one. One, and one and one, right? Yep, three, yep. one and one. Uh, yep. I think Monique had a bad week last week, but we'll bounce back this week. I think you are eight, four, and two overall. I'm 12, six, and one overall. Hey, uh, these numbers are pretty good, man. <laughs> not bad, man. These are pretty the last, good. You know the what? They're free. Weeks, they're, creeping. they're creeping. The last three weeks, they're creeping up. So uh, yeah. how many plays do you have this week? I just have two plays. I'm going with, and I can't believe either of these plays that I'm going with, so I may regret it later on, but going with Cleveland at home against the Chargers, that point spread is minus one for San Diego, and I'm going with Baltimore on the road at Tennessee, minus three, mainly because I think that's a very strange spread. You would think that Tennessee would be three-point favorites over the Ravens. Oh, there we go. Okay, we're going straight up. That one, that's that's the one. I'm going to take the Titans plus the three. Okay, at, so I'm going now head to head. You're you three and zero, oh. right? You're three, right? no, you're three and zero oh on right. the head to head in our head to head bets. Although I will say, last week when I missed four field goals <laughs> and an extra point, I, I would still play the Packers in that spot ninety nine <laughs> times and just hope they make two field goals. You know? Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So you okay? So for so me, I'm, I'm going Cleveland go, and Baltimore. What about you? Uh, I'm going to go four plays though. Redskins minus one versus the Panthers. The Bengals minus two and a half versus Pitt. The Cowboys plus three versus the Jags, and then the Titans plus the three versus the Ravens. So I've got one head and head with you. I've got one head and head with Monique, and then uh, a couple others. So the the key is I've got a lot of small spreads for the teams at home this week. The Redskins are are short favorite. The Bengals are short favorite. I want the Cowboys at home getting some points, and the Titans at home getting some points. So those are my four. Pretty bold uh, after how bad the uh, Redskins look on Monday. It's, it's a total, it's a total bounce back play and just a total line play. You know, it's minus one. I just expect them to be a, a completely different team here, and they've been kind of that Jekyll and Hyde team so far through. I think a lot of people are going to jump on the Panthers because of how bad the Redskins were, and because it was a national TV game on Monday night. Everybody saw how brutal they were. So I'm just going to go the complete opposite way on that one. Um, yeah, man, that was that was a fun show. We are, we are. Just coming up on our last 30 seconds, Mike, uh, we want to remind everyone out there, if you're listening, when you subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere 
Every week when our show is done, it'll immediately come to you. Also, if you get an opportunity, get to iTunes and give us a nice uh, five-star rating and review. We really appreciate that. And we love the tweets and the messages on Facebook. We've been getting a lot of good interaction from you folks lately. So keep it coming, and uh, we'll love to read your tweets or any any information, any thoughts, any selections, anything you want to share with us. We're always happy to, to push it along. Have a tremendous sports weekend, everyone. Hopefully the Red Sox and the Dodgers come back victorious. Sorry if I offended the other side here, but we're rooting <laughs> for a good series overall. So have enjoy a great sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.